Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is Wednesday, the 20th of October, 2021. The reason I highlight that it's 2021 is I'm going to tell you in a minute that uh, supply chain disruptions are uh, now likely to persist into 2023. And if you were like me, you had to look at the calendar and say, that's not this January. Okay, so there you go. Uh, It is uh, October 20th, 2021, and I want to lead off with this. Let's take nothing for granted today. Let's take nothing for granted today. Least of all, the access we have to the personal presence of the all-powerful God through the extraordinary gift of prayer. So take a deep breath and consider the all-access pass that you have to the Father because of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And do not take that access and that power and God's presence and his provision, do not take those for granted today. Settle in um, to that this morning. Because the uh, romp around the news is going to, um, <clears throat> is going to give you ca- uh, pause, cause to pause and pray. So here you go. Uh, here's a little bit of a whirlwind around the world. The Haitian gang that kidnapped 17 people, including five children, these are... Uh, People affiliated with a Christian missionary effort in, ha- in, in the nation of Haiti. We've been talking about it. Well, the group who kidnapped them has now issued a ransom demand of $17 million for their release. You will hear um, growing criticism that they were where they were, contrary to the U.S. government's encouragement that Americans not travel to Haiti and certainly not go to the kinds of places where these people were going to do what? To serve the least of these, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So following the, following the mandate of Christ to serve the least of these, we have Christian brothers and sisters who are now being held hostage for $17 million in the nation of Haiti, and we have very high-ranking uh, people in terms of the communication effort of the government to say, well, they shouldn't have been where they were. Um, At some level, they should have known better. I want you to consider that um, as this story unfolds. I also want you to consider the entire conversation related to ransom and who paid yours and at what cost. All right, um, three really sort of terrifying uh, headlines here. North Korea... Kim Jong-un has vowed to to build a, quote, invincible military. And let's keep in mind that North Korea is now capable of launching strikes on the U.S. mainland. China now has nuclear-capable hypersonic missiles. 
Yes, that has been uh, a point of discussion at the national security level. It is now a point of discussion globally. And the United States, through a representative of the Pentagon, admitted yesterday that um, we don't know how to defend against it. I don't know how wise that is to tell the enemy that we don't know how to defend ourselves against uh, your new hottest weapon. But it did lead one political commentator to predict that within a decade, the United States would be at war with China. In the meantime, China continues to restrict religious liberties uh, in the context of their own bounds and seeks to do it beyond their bounds. Apps for Bible reading have been removed from the Apple Store throughout mainland China. So when we talk about the access that we have to the Word of God and we talk about the way we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, particularly in places like China, this might lead your prayer list today. In the meantime, Russia has severed its diplomatic ties with NATO. And remember, we just talked uh, earlier this week that Turkey has recalled 11 ambassadors from around the world, including the one to the United States. So here's what goes on when diplomatic ties are broken or ambassadors are recalled. People don't talk to each other. And when people don't talk to each other, they talk behind one another's backs about one another. And that just gins up uh, greater animosity. So let's be... uh, paying attention to and concerning ourselves with these things in prayer, even as we recognize that here in the United States, uh, conversations uh, in the media and beyond continue to center on whether or not a comedian can joke about transgenderism, whether or not police officers and ambulance drivers will be able to continue to respond to our 911 calls uh, because they haven't been vaccinated. And we're debating how many trillions of dollars we're going to spend that we don't have on social programs that we cannot afford. Um, And, yes, the supply chain. Uh, It now is called Grinchonomics, suggesting that Christmas is going to be ruined because people will not be able to get overnight the latest tech toy that their child demands be under the Christmas tree for which they do not know what it stands. I'm just... I know, I know. It's it's one of those morning litanies at the start of the hour that makes you shake your head. I got it. God's got it. That's why I started where I did. Let's not take anything for granted today, least of all the access we have to the personal presence of the all-powerful God through the extraordinary gift of prayer. Let's pray the news today. Next up, Trevin Wax. Uh, he is here um, joining me from the Gospel Coalition. You can read more about what we're going to be discussing at thegospelcoalition.org, and we're going to be talking about the podcast that a lot of people are listening to, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. We'll be right back. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. All right, I'll just go ahead and confess, Trevin Wax is one of my favorite follows, uh, not only on Twitter, but the things that he writes at thegospelcoalition.org. So let me encourage you to check out what he's writing and thinking about and talking about and what he's reading. Trevin, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, it's great to be back with you. All right, Mars Hill uh, Church. So let me just set it up this way. For people who have, have no context for the conversation you and I are about to have, what's the story here? And what's the uh, what's the podcast we're going to be talking about? So Mars Hill Church was a church, a, a very fast growing church in Seattle. 
um, that uh, was also at the vanguard of a church planting movement called Acts 29, led by a very charismatic preacher named Mark Driscoll. He was uh, in, in lots of different circles at the beginning, in those emerging church conversations. He was also a part of this young, restless, and reformed movement. Um, and this was a church that grew spectacularly uh, for more than a decade. And then uh, several years ago, really just imploded. And Mark Driscoll resigned due to uh, what was considered to be abusive leadership patterns. Um, and ha and the church, uh, there, there still are little pockets of, of uh, congregations in that area that uh, began out of Mars Hill. But this was a, um, a, a mega church implosion that we really have never seen anything like. And so uh, there's a lot of conversation about what exactly happened, what went wrong, what can the church learn about it? And that's where this podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, comes in. This is uh, Mike Cosper at Christianity Today. Mike has a lot of firsthand knowledge of a lot of the the, the main players and the events during that time period. He's he's uh, weaving a narrative together to to trace the, the journey, the rise of this church, and then uh, the fall and asking, you know, how was God at work in the middle of this? What did God do uh, for his people in the middle of this? And then also, what can we learn uh, and what can we take away from uh, a church's failure? And those would be, I think, the right ways to listen um, to the podcast. And I will tell you that having listened to only a portion of it, I didn't listen to the whole thing, but having listened to a portion of it, um, if you have not, if you're not aware of the way Mark Driscoll preached, there's some, it's jaw dropping. I cannot imagine, I just personally cannot imagine sitting in the context of a worship service and um, being spoken to and other people being spoken about in the way that he approaches the, uh, <clears throat> the art of preaching. And so I, I think that for me, that that's a huge takeaway. Like I, I am spiritually sensitive enough to know I wouldn't sit under that. However, he's, he is magnetic. I mean, there's a, there is a genuine um, charisma. People are attracted not only to what he is saying, but to the way that he is saying it. And I became very aware in the midst of my listening, this is part of what tilled the soil that prepared evangelical Christians for the current political environment. Like there's a, there is something to all of this and I appreciated knowing about it, but I do think there's these right and wrong ways to listen to the podcast. Yeah. I, you know, the thing with, with Mark is there was a lot of Bible in his preaching. So it's, this was not someone, he, he sort of went against some of the 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 seeker sensitive movement of the 80s and 90s that you know sought to to um, not to offend as much as possible. Um, Mark actually went the other way in which he he adopted a little bit of a shock jock persona, and then um, he but but he he had a lot of Bible in his sermons, and so a lot of people I think were hungry for biblical exposition on the one hand. And then I think a younger generation at the time, if you think about like the 2000s and the early 2010s, uh, really wanted a, a preaching that felt hard, like someone getting up in your face and telling you what's wrong with you and what you need to do and what the Bible says and that, you know, to, to really challenge you to something higher. And so I think people that resonated, uh, the, the people for whom Mark's sermons resonated were really people who were hungry for that sort of confrontational style of, of preaching. Um, and 
you know, we, we know all of the, because of this podcast and if you look on YouTube, I mean, there's all sorts of clips where it's just crazy over the top, you know, like you look at that and think, oh my goodness, was Mark preaching like this every single week? And the reality is, no, these were actually moments where the confrontation was probably the strongest uh, or where that sort of, uh, um, uh, 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 you know, ab abusive attitude was very, very prominent. But you have to put that in the context of week after week after week of sermons in which he was entertaining and funny. And he came across like, you know, like an older big brother who's cheering you on or who's challenging you or like a father that you wish you had who'd be in your face and telling you what to do. And here's what the Bible says. And you got to get on with life. And so if you put that in a wider context, a lot of that stuff that now are just so obviously red flags, a lot of people in the at the time just would choose to overlook that because, you know, I mean, the church was growing and there were people that were whose lives are being changed. And surely God is at work here. And of course, he is at work here. That doesn't excuse some of those uh, excesses that you saw that were coming from uh, that that sort of controlling, domineering personality. Yeah, I, um, I I made tons of notes about context in the context of a particular sermon or one sermon in a series of sermons and sermons heard over time and sermons heard in the context of a relationship. I mean, like on and on and on and on. Some of the notes that I made to myself, also this question about authority and the attraction then of authoritarianism, particularly for people who didn't grow up in the kinds of parental relationships where we would say, these are the kinds of things we heard from. I mean, I often say like people should have had a mom like my mom, but not everybody had a mom like my mom. So some people just need to be mothered. Like I get it. Like I get the, sometimes you got to square people up and you got to look them in the eye and you got to say hard things. Um, so let's, let's take a very brief break. When we come back to this, let's talk about um, some of the questions that are raised and the answers that you would like to direct people to. Um, in terms of this conversation. We are talking about the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Uh, you can read what Trevin Wax has had to say about it uh, over time at thegospelcoalition.org. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Trevin Wax, uh, you can find him at thegospelcoalition.org. We're talking about a podcast that is wildly popular called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Um, and uh, if you are interested not only in the church, but in church growth, and if you're interested in um, why there is an attraction of authoritarianism among evangelicals, I think these are all good conversations um, for us to have. And there is a, a right way to listen to the Mars Hill uh, podcast, and I think there's a wrong way to listen to it, and that is uh, with bated breath, waiting for the next one to drop because you can't wait to hear uh, another portion of the scintillating details of the downfall of a church or a person. So, um, Trevin, let's talk about masculinity and the need for men to be men, which seems like a huge part of what's going on here. Yeah, there's you know there's a, a a famous clip that's made much of in the in the the podcast the rise and fall of Mars Hill in which Mark Driscoll, uh, back in the um, mid to late 2000s, did a a sermon in which he basically just chews out the men in his congregation <laughs> like screaming at them how dare you it's considered the how dare you sermon, and um, you know I remember at the time I was in my 20s at the time when that came out and I remember. I had a colleague who was roughly the same age as me who sent that and thought this was fantastic. This was the kind of preaching we needed more of, you know, men who would like a guy who would just really just get up and yell in your face, almost like a coach on the field, you know, and then there was a guy who was, um, uh, you know, a middle-aged pastor 
who saw that clip and thought it was ridiculous. I mean, just thought it was absolutely over the top, terribly, you know, just looked at it and thought, this is, this is such an overstepping of pastoral bounds, you know, saw that sort of authoritarian shock jock um, persona for what it was. But what's interesting to me is that both of those had very different relationships with their fathers. The older, the middle-aged guy had a terrific relationship with his father, knew what it meant to be a man, to be gentle, but firm and convictional, um, kind at the same time. Uh, he was, uh, um, uh, you, you know, just masculine and all of the, in all of the, the, the best traits. Right. And then my, my friend who was roughly the same age as me had a relationship with his father that was very strained. Um, his, his mother, uh, was in the, in the middle of a separation from his father, this father, uh, there was all of these other issues that were behind the scenes that I knew were there. And so it, just listening to the sermon again, just reminded me and made me wonder what role did this desire for fatherhood, for, for a, a father to love you unconditionally, but also uh, challenge you to something more, to call something great out of you? What role did that play in sort of making so many people gravitate toward this, this charismatic figure who, who used that persona uh, in order to uh, advance his own ends? So um, Mark Driscoll pastors a church today. Um, he is... Um, pastoring a church in Scottsdale, Arizona, founded in 2016. Um, talk with us a little bit about accountability, um, the church planting movement, not, you know, not just Acts 29, but kind of the um, the reality that there is some accountability in relationships with young pastors um, who are planting churches, and in in other ways there's not, and and then we live in this time where everything that a young person says, everyone has the opportunity to hear because of social media. And there's not like a, a time for them to become seasoned in terms of wisdom and maturity and leadership. Like they're just out there all the way out there in front of everybody with, you know, with frankly, huge audiences and sometimes, um, you know, the very, very difficult task of the people close at hand, providing some kind of accountability that is resisted. Yeah, so this is this is a tricky part of things, because when you look at church planting, generally the types of people that are most uh, attracted to church planting tend to be entrepreneurial startup kind of people, obviously, because that's what's what's required. And so you do wind up with a lot of young guys. Sometimes you've got guys, they go through assessments, they go through training. But still, I mean, just any pastor that, that starts out is going to have to have to learn a lot. And so the, the good thing is with networks, with denominations, with uh, with groups that are not solely independent, you do have these accountability structures that are that are baked in um, with independent churches. It's a little more challenging, but, you know, with the right kind of people around them, with the right kind of leaders, the, the willingness to submit to the leaders that are around you. Um, this these are ways in which these accountability structures can be can be put in place. But at the end of the day, Carmen, I, I kind of look at it like structures are great when people uh, see the need for them and and and, and recognize that they, they want to, to live with those structures. You can put as many count- accountability structures as you want in place. And if the person with the has a heart to resist all of those, they're going to resist it no matter what. It's kind of like 
you know, where, where there are guys, you know, fighting for the purity of their hearts, you know, that put certain accountability measures on their phone or they have an accountability group. I mean, at the end of the day, though, a guy can still lie, can still get around barriers that he might put up, accountability things against pornography and things like that. So at, at the end of the day, it comes down to the heart of the individual and structures can help us, but structures can't be the answer. Uh, we, we've got to be the kind of, of people who recognize and, and, and paint a, a, a beautiful picture of what uh, mutual submission and accountability looks like, what authority rightly exercise looks like. The, uh, one of the things I say is the answer to bad authority is not no authority, it's good authority, right? Mm -hmm. Because I, I, do, I am afraid some people might take this podcast and think that the answer is, well, to just sort of go passive and to not make tough decisions that may offend people in your congregation at times. I mean, those are all challenges that a pastor in any normal circumstance is going to face. And what we want is those pastors to feel, uh, to, to recognize that good authority is always stewarded and exercised for the good of the flock, not for themselves. So we have folks uh, texting in all kinds of, uh, of good observations. So thank you to each and every one of you um, who are engaging on the text line at 877-933-2484. Yes, I, uh, I agree with the person making the observation that, uh, you know, church planting needs to be done by a team. There are often people who have that prophetic, provocative uh, voice, but then they need a pastor to actually <laughs> come alongside them to shepherd people. Yep, I get that. I think uh, I think church planting in a team is important. I think those who are highly creative sometimes find, uh, you know, find the challenge of the administrative mundane. All of those things are true. Um, I also think that, you know, those who preach like John the Baptist, um, you know, sometimes uh, face the challenge of, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Could the Apostle Paul have stayed in one, stayed in one place in the church that he planted and actually shepherded it long term? I mean, those are good questions. Trevin, we got to leave it right there. I hear the music in the background, which means I'm supposed to wrap up this conversation. <laughs> hey, it's thank you so you, very much. It's so great to have you. That's Trevin Wax. Uh, give him a follow and read what he's writing at thegospelcoalition.org. We'll be right back. All right, we've all read the headlines related to our brothers and sisters in Christ who have been kidnapped in Haiti. Ruth Kramer is going to help us understand that a little bit more in the context of, uh, of what other ministries on the ground are experiencing. We're also going to revisit what's going on in Afghanistan and take a look at what's going on in Iran, where folks are joining a Bible reading plan. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I hear this complaint from parents. When kids are spinning out of control, they say this, my spouse isn't stepping up to discipline our team. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When your teen is struggling, it's easy for your child to pit you against your spouse. So here's a key to avoiding destruction in your marriage. Ready? Don't expect your spouse to change. You'll only be disappointed if you do. And that'll only pour more gasoline on the fire already raging in your home. The only person you can control is you. Find ways to become stronger, healthier, and happier. Living with a struggling teen is the perfect opportunity to re-engineer your own contentment. While looking for a family change, start with you. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. Don't boldly go when no 
one has gone before. All right, we're going to turn our attention intentionally to what's happening around the world with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find what we're talking about today at missionnews.org. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you. I was just praying that just a second ago when I was asking God to give me the words to say to communicate all of the complexities of the stuff we'll be talking about this morning. Amen. We started um, this morning by uh, not taking for granted the access that we have to God in prayer, because uh, when when I looked at the headline news today, both here uh, locally and across the United States and around the world, um, right there's a shaking of the head and there is a driving to the knees. Like right, we are um, we are driven to our knees by the events of our days. So Ruth, thank you in advance for helping us bring into focus. Um, realities on the ground in Haiti. We have covered the headline related to these Christian missionaries, but help us understand, you know, what you're hearing from uh, your partners on the ground. Help us understand the realities in Haiti. Well, it's chaos. Uh, I think we'll start with that. I wish that we could come to you and say Haiti is improving in any area at all. But over the years, as we've been talking to partners in Haiti, it just really has been a difficult situation all along. I mean, it was tough before the 2010 earthquake, and then it got exponentially difficult. Uh, and it really, they, they, as people tried to find their their new normal, a different rhythm of life, um, you know, the thing that you kept hearing about Haitians was that they were resilient um, and they're passionate about things uh, as, as you, you hear what's been happening there. Um, but then there was this, this issue with the uh, the government not being able to really form a stable government uh, where the gangs started to rise up to prominence because there wasn't really um, enough of an organized government to stop them effectively. So they started taking over and crime started rising. And when you kept hearing about these kinds of things, you, you started hearing about uh, government corruption, and then you would have, on one hand, you'd have these gangs running rampant, and then you'd have government corruption, and the people would be suffering because all of the goods and services and resources that were coming into the country were just disappearing. So you'd have uh, protests and manifestations, and as a result of that, you know, you you, you take a, a headline view of what's happening in Haiti, and it looks like absolute chaos. Uh, the U.S. State Department issued a do not travel level four warning uh, in, in their advisory areas, you know, on, on uh, whether or not you should consider going to Haiti. And, and that's about as, as tough as it gets. They're just saying don't go. And that was back in August. Um, today, the updates are indicating that uh, there are concerns about more manifestations that are occurring because of the kidnappings of this group of missionaries. Um, keeping in mm-hmm. mind that Christian Aid Ministries has or has a, a number of ministry points in the south, in Port-au-Prince area, and that's where you're going to find the clusters of the the craziness that goes on um, more obviously than it, it than it, you would find it out in some of the outlying areas and up in the north where 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 our partners are located. So when you look at this, you know, this is the the impression people have of Haiti. Um, And because of these kinds of things, in certain areas, you find ministries that are pulling away. Um, Obviously, you've got some ministries that are in there that are in there for the long haul. But even with the ones that are in there for the long haul, 
they started moving some of their staff out of areas that were particularly dangerous um, because it just wasn't safe for them to stay there. And and people have to reconsider, you know, what they're going to be doing and how long this, they're going to stay on the field, especially if they have families. Our partner is for Haiti with Love, and they're up in Cap Haitian, up in the north. So when we asked them, you know, how is all of this stuff affecting you, what she said was the chaos of crime isn't directly affecting them as much as you it would be if they were right in the center of it. But it trickles throughout the country because it has a ripple effect and Haiti's not that big. Um, the gang issue is the really big security concern. Um, and when they were talking with partners that used to come out to visit, um, you're talking, you know, whole teams of uh, nurses that were coming in from nursing school um, and, and traveling into uh, Cap Haitian. But they were seeing these headlines and they were very concerned about security. So they started pulling back uh, from sending their teams. And um, when they thought things were clear maybe to come back in again, um, COVID hit. And so travel wasn't possible in 2020. And now we're in 2021 with all of this chaos and the the situation with the assassination of the president and then a you know massive earthquake later on. And they're still holding back. A lot of the mission teams that used to come in and visit organizations up in the north are not coming in yet. So for Haiti with Love specifically says because of all the things that are happening, um, they haven't hosted a mission team for three years. And that means that certain things that uh, they rely on hands and feet to get done are just being put aside. Um, mm -hmm. Things that they would love to be able to do, they can't without the extra hands. So uh, in a way, it is limiting to what uh, some of the growth projects that they were hoping to do. Um, the nursing teams came in and worked with the burn clinic, restocking uh, the the clinic with everything that they need to treat people. Uh, you know, all of the medications, all of the supplies. You go through a lot of gauze and silvadine cream when you're dealing with one burn page, patient. And a couple of days ago, we did a story on the the shift in the way people are getting injured with gasoline fires. And so adults are coming in with massive, severe burns over 75% of their bodies. And that means that they're going through a lot of resources a lot quicker. And this is where a mission team would really be helpful to come in. And they don't have those hands. So when we look at these headlines, we also need to consider that um, the the encouragement that a team, a short-term mission team brings is significant. And that the, the Ministries that are on the ground there um, are keeping their eyes on what is happening. So the, one of the bigger suggestions is if you're considering a trip to Haiti uh, in spite of all of the stuff that's going on, listen to the organization that you're with because they've got the hands and feet and, and the people on the ground. They know the area and listen to what they have to say. They say don't come, don't come. If they say it's safe, then you can consider that they know their area, they know – uh, what they're saying about the people in their community. And it's probably going to be okay, but they're not going to be able to guarantee that that's going to be a hundred percent guarantee. Um, so there's, I guess, mitigated risk which, there. Which is true anywhere you go uh, in service of the Lord. I mean, I, you know, you can go, you can go into parts of your own city, wherever you live, wherever you're listening right now, there's no 100% guarantee. Like that's not what, you know, that's not what going in mission service um, is even all about, and I know that we, you know, we want to take precautions, and we want to be, we want to be wise, and we certainly want to be good stewards, um, but we also don't want to resist going um, because we are afraid. 
um, because I'm sure that the people who shared the gospel for the very first time with the people who then shared the gospel with me, right, that was a scary proposition and a potentially very dangerous um, thing to do. And so let's um, let's be praying for people who are on the ground in Haiti right now, seeking to serve the least of these in our hemisphere. Let's recognize that there is deforestation, overpopulation, a lack of sanitation, a procl- uh, you know, being prone to natural disasters. There is corruption and human exploitation and embezzlement and it and real people suffering in very real ways. Um, and so. Christians are going to continue to go. That is going to happen. Christians are going to continue to serve. And let's uh, let's be considering the ways that we can support them prayerfully, financially, um, and for those whom God calls, um, that you would go, that you would not, you know, that you that you wouldn't be afraid to come alongside ministries on the ground like Ruth has uh, has talked about. Um, even in the midst of very, very challenging and troubling days. Okay, you can read more about this story and the ministries uh, with whom um, Ruth is directly connected at missionnews.org. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on in Afghanistan. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We make a miracle walk, a promise keep, a light in the darkness. Continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find an article posted today at missionnews.org about the suicide bombings taking place in Afghanistan. Um, Ruth, let's turn our attention there. It is not as if the Taliban took over and then suddenly peace became a reality in, uh, in, the, in the nation of Afghanistan. No, I wish I wish we could say that peace was uh, coming to the nation of Afghanistan at all. But obviously, we've been following the situation with Taliban, and there was a lot of concerns uh, involved with that. Uh, so the um, emergence of ISIS-K is somewhat unsettling, because ISIS-K is basically looking at the Taliban and saying, you're not taking enough extreme measures to uh, eradicate Afghanistan um, of its heretics. And they view the heretics as the Shiite Muslims and uh, the apostates as the Christians. And so they're they're saying you're not cleaning house with enough of a firm hand. And um, a lot of uh, from what we're hearing from our partner, um, FMI, um, a lot of the Taliban movement is moving into what is now called ISIS-K, which is the Islamic State in Khorasan province. Um, and that's really uh, a, a group that is – that was founded uh, a couple of years ago by disaffected Pakistani Taliban because they were unhappy about the the measures that Taliban was taking. They thought they were a little bit too reasonable and not extreme enough in uh, their dealing with what they would see as um, the apostates and, and the heretics. Um, so this is kind of a concern because if you thought the Taliban was bad – the ISIS-K is, is worse. And what they're showing here is that they're uh, on a campaign to remove what they see as heretics out of Afghanistan. So we've had three uh, attacks on Shiite mosques on, you know, on Friday within the last couple of weeks. And I think what we're looking at when we talk to um, Nehemiah from FMI is probably uh, – looking at a, a regular series of attacks on the days of prayer because of the the conflict that is going on right now in Afghanistan. Um, 
the thing that is disconcerting here is that Nehemiah has, you know, a lot of ears on the ground in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and that's the area of influence for ISIS-K. And it just sounds to him like ISIS-K is starting to get the upper hand um, from what he's hearing from the network on the ground, and that it wouldn't be a surprise if ISIS-K actually took over. Um, the issue is because you have Taliban who's claiming to be a legitimate government and ISIS-K fighting for dominance, you have a failed state as a result. So you've got a government that is un unable to act as a government. You have an economy that's pretty shaky and uh, not able to actually assist its people in the things that they really need. Um, you know, So that means that Afghanistan is starting to kind of fall into – I guess the the area the, the group of, of countries that have the least coveted accolade in geopolitics. You know, we're talking they're joining Myanmar, Lebanon, and Nigeria and Somalia now as failed states. And there are a lot of concerns about what that could mean in terms of destabilizing the larger area. So if Afghanistan goes into failed state, what's going to happen to Pakistan? What's going to happen to all those outlying uh, countries that connect to Afghanistan where you have an insurgency like this? So our partners, FMI again, um, have been kind of bringing us up to speed on what's happening in Afghanistan, asking us to be praying for the ministry team that is down there because they're obviously uh, on the front lines. They're um, acting as the hands and feet of Christ in an area that is extremely dangerous. Um, so keep on praying for wisdom and resourcing for FMI, because those pastors are amazingly courageous people. And if you talk to them and you say, wow, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't even know what to say about what you do. They just say, keep praying. I'm just doing what God told me to do. I'm sharing the hope of Jesus Christ as a savior with people who've never heard it before. So this is an amazing situation. It's going to be really interesting to see what God does. But just looking at the context of it, it's really, really dangerous. I think one of the um, challenges that, that we face as Americans um, is there's just there's so much distance in in every way that I could use that word. There's so much distance between the realities that I live in and the realities that a person is living in in Afghanistan. And even when you and I use terms like ISIS or ISIS-K or Al-Qaeda or the Taliban, um, and we talk about the differences between Sunni and Shia Islam, and we talk about I – ju I just think that um, – Many, many Americans, like our social dislocation from the realities in Afghanistan are so great. And so um, I want to say thank you to you for helping us know what's happening on the ground and connecting us with other Christians who are living in the midst of um, of these realities around the world and providing ways for us to pray for them and connect with what they're doing. So let me encourage you, if you're listening right now, um, to visit missionnews.org. Don't just read about the suicide bombings that are testing the Taliban's control of uh, of Afghanistan, but do what we're being asked to do, which is to pray for the conversion of the Taliban and pray for the conversion of those engaged in ISIS-K. Um, so, um, Ruth, we've got uh, we got like a minute left. Talk with us about what's going on in Iran because this is a good news story. 
This is really cool. Most of what we've been hearing about the Iranian church is that it is the fastest growing church body by by size, you know, by country size uh, in the world. And that is because of the um, the pressure that has been put on people as they've been uh, seeking truth and hope outside of the borders of the government. Uh, what we have here is a ministry called Iranian Bible Society in Diaspora, and they have organized a Bible reading plan for the Farsi speakers. A lot of Iranian Christians didn't even know there were any other Christians in the country. They thought they were the only one in the country of Iran or in wherever they found themselves out in the diaspora. And so to find out that there are all these other Farsi speakers in the body of Christ who are studying God's word together in a, in a, in a unified time frame is a huge encouragement to people because that lets them know that they are part of something bigger than themselves, that they are part of something that is keeping them out of isolation. And they are studying God's word and getting to know who God says he is together. I think this is a great story because um, this is one of those things that answers one of those questions on how do you disciple, you know, Farsi speakers or people, Christians in Iran when you can't even get there. And it's so hard to um, live your faith out loud. This is one of the answers. So Iranian Bible Society in Diaspora doing a great thing with a Bible reading plan. Ruth, as always, um, thank you so much. Want, uh, want, want you, if you're listening right now, to check out everything that's posted at Mission Network News, which you can find at missionnews.org. There's just lots of places around the world highlighted where we didn't have time to, you know, to turn our attention and certainly want to be um, praying with and for Christians around the world. Ruth, as always, thank you so much. Thank you for having me this morning. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, we started off the hour by my encouraging each of us and all of us to not take things for granted today. So I want you to reconsider for a moment the things that you're tempted to take for granted. Maybe it is God's protection. Maybe it's his provision. Maybe it's his availability. Maybe it's his grace. Maybe it's the Bible itself. People across mainland China no longer have access to apps that, uh, where they could read the Bible. Those apps have been removed from the app store by the Chinese government. Don't take your access to the Bible for granted. Don't take your access to the throne room of God for granted. Don't take your access to the church and worship for granted. Um, they are precious liberties, and not everyone around the world enjoys them. So let's be praying today for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Let's be praying for an awakening, a spiritual awakening. And let's be praying that um, God would go before us into the world that he so loves and that we would live as good representers, representatives of Christ and his kingdom. we got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.